I want to ask you all if you would please stand and uh, stretch, jumping jacks, get some life into you. I really want you to listen and, and hopefully pay attention. Please turn and just with a very enthusiastic fist bump or whatever you want to do, because I know it's that flu season. But please, maybe it's a big wave, but please turn and say hello to someone, okay? <clears throat> Okay, good. As, as you kind of are doing that, if I could get your attention real quickly, um, this is a big day. What is this day? Anybody know? You can please stay standing. Please stay standing for a second. What? Yeah, Super Bowl Sunday. No, it isn't. It, it is, but it isn't the big day. Uh, it's a big day because it, we are celebrating with our Chinese students and many of the Chinese that we have with that come here. Uh, we're celebrating Chinese New Year's with them, right? Anybody know what year it is? Yeah. Year of the rooster, very good. And I was trying to get them to say, what does a rooster say in Chinese? You know, because we have cock-a-doodle-doo, and German is kikuriki, and they just laughed at me. But anyway, um, I did put on this name tag, and, and on the name tag, if you want to see what your name is, they write kind of the characters, and, and I said, so what does this character mean? And they said, victory. I said, oh, that's cool. And I said, what does this character mean? And I'm going, knowledge, victory and knowledge. Now, they could get anything if they want to, you know, tell me, but... But you might want to check that out. Hopefully you won't get loser or something like that. But anyway, please take a seat. Thanks. <clears throat> you know, I want, to, I want to approach something really quickly here. and We're going to pray. And, and it's to talk about uh, a topic that's really important for us to talk about. And I don't want it to be political in this sense, but just this whole refugee issue. We're going to talk just briefly here. And next Sunday, we've got some other things that we want to share with you. Uh, George and outreach, uh, Pastor George. But, you know, if anyone understands this issue of... Uh, Immigration, refugees, and things like that, Jesus does. Uh, he was the immigrant from the furthest place. I mean, honestly, he came from heaven and he found here this place where there was no place to even lay his head. And, and at the same time, he also came and he took a whole bunch of us, if you want to look at this way, refugees to prepare for us a home um, where we'd become citizens of heaven. And in doing so, it was very risky and he died in that course of doing so. And and I want to say that in light of this is a complex issue. And I, I don't want us as a church not to have talked about it, but what I'm most concerned about is to talk about it. This, this kind of issue um, really needs both wisdom and compassion. And I say that because you talk about wisdom and what does it mean for us to, with wisdom, how do we handle immigration and refugee situation? Um, and if I was to ask you to name and think about your own home, I bet you every one of you would have a lock on it because of safety is an important issue. And at the same time, so is this compassion of someone who, who is in a place, who has been displaced, who has no home. It's very clear in the Word of God. And what Jesus says, we need to come around those who are suffering and to love them. And, and how do we do that is really important. But here's a deeper issue that I want us to even address, and that is um, I know that in our church we have people on all sides of that issue and how it should be done. But we need to be able to talk about it there needs to be what we've talked about, this robust dialogue, the ability to share our thoughts and our understanding and our opinions in such a way, and yeah, they may get passionate, but in such a way that we really honor and respect and love one another in it. We need that kind of dialogue, because guess what? It's not happening in the world. 
And these are important issues. Nothing is ever an issue unless it's what? It's an issue. And, and, and we, like Jesus, Jesus was always trying to be pulled into political stuff. We are called to um, have, and we'll be talking about this kingdom that is of our heart, that, that has a higher law, and how do then we respond, and what does it mean for us, and how do we do that practically are all very, very important questions. And uh, Pastor George... Uh, who is over our outreach area, um, wrote a paper, uh, and the elders have, have read it, kind of stating what has been our position in the past and what is our position today. And if you want to pick one up, there's one out in the, in the hall that will give you that. We're not going to go into that further, but if you want to have a better understanding of how we have been addressing it, we'll talk a little bit about it also next Sunday when George comes up and, and we do a brief interview. Um, it's really funny. I, I have, in, in many ways, as a pastor, you're kind of hesitant to talk about stuff like this because, you know, Especially in a church of ours, which is kind of multi generational and multiracial, and all this, like, we have all kinds of different positions and thoughts. And, and, and when I, you know, I had some urging from some um, of our congregation, let's say something, and I said, Yeah, I need to. And says, I prayed about it. It was really interesting. The very next day after praying about that, I got a, a call, an invitation to actually be on MPR um, on a round table with a group of people around this issue. So I'm just asking you on Monday tomorrow, would you pray for me? Um, as I have an opportunity to kind of um, share, um, not you know, how can I represent the evangelical position because it's all over the board. But my prayer, honestly, is to allow the Spirit of God to share His heart through me. Now I'm going to ask you to pray, and we're going to take just a brief moment. I want you to pray in, with, silently in your heart, not out loud verbally, but in your heart. Would you bring what's in your heart around this issue to God? He hears your prayer. He's delighted you're going to talk to him about it. So let's just stop and let's bow our heads together and just pray whatever God's placed in your heart. Hear our prayers, God. Father God, in this stillness, as we are gathered as your church before you, we recognize that there are laws in the land and we are called to uphold those, but at the same time we recognize there's a law in our heart, a divine law of love, and we ask for wisdom and compassion as we enter into dialogue with people, as we um, share what you've been placing in our hearts, God, we ask as a church that our response would be that which delights you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we're doing this series called Remember, and all throughout the, you go all throughout the Bible, and you will find there are places where God, through his Spirit, through his prophets or apostles or others, says, remember. In fact, you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's very interesting. Uh, Moses, after the people have gotten into the land and he gives them the law, that's what Deuteronomy means, the second time um, the law is given. At one point in that chapter, he says, you know, you're going to get in the land, you're going to get fat, happy and sassy, you know, that kind of thing, and you're going to forget. 
You're going to forget how you got here. You're going to forget who provides for what you even have because you're going to forget the fact that the very wealth you've produced is from you get caught up thinking it's about your ability and you forget the very fact that the very breath you breathe from second to second is a gift given by God. So remember, tie like a string around your finger that's what we have up there and remember some truths. Remember, he says, Jesus, as he is the night before his death, and they're sitting at that, that Last Supper table, which you know that picture where everyone's facing, looking at the camera, that one that they painted. But anyway, that's a joke. I'm sure they were all wrong, but for the picture. Anyway, um, Jesus is, is telling him about he's going to die and, and what this sacrifice means, and he said, I don't want you to lose sight of how important this sacrifice is and what it means that I would actually... Give my entire life, my blood, to set you free, to cleanse you, that you could have a relationship with God, your Father. And so Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it like he was breaking his body and gave it to them saying, this is my body given, broken for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. There's a call to remember. Tie it like a, a string around your finger and remember some certain truths. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is the gospel today, and we'll be talking about joy the next Sunday, and we'll talk about work the next, and we'll talk about generosity. These are all series that we've done in the past. We're going to bring out, hopefully, something of it that will help you to remember. And so I wanted to share with you that as we do this, we're going to try and tie some truths around our fingers to remember what we've once learned. This past week, I was sitting down with Shelly McHenry, and, and, and Shelly he oversees everything community and connecting in our church family, and, and I'm so grateful for her. And I shared with her an idea about how we can form maybe deeper connections among us, beginning with myself and the staff and, and maybe with the elders as well, but how do we kind of learn one another's names and remember one another's names because they're so important. And as I was sharing that with her, I always go to this bad, shameful place because I'm just not really gifted with remembering names. I mean, when, when I was wired up, you know, for some reason, God didn't wire that one. In fact, I'm actually rather what I would call both face and name recognition challenged. And I, there's probably a psychological disorder for it. But anyway, what I want to do is ask you as a congregation and a community to kind of lean into this. It's one of the reasons we do these name tags it is opportunities for us to get to know one another on a more deeper level, even by just getting to know your names. And, and, and don't be afraid to, to kind of lean into this. Don't expect that, you, that that other person knows you. You know, just kind of lean into it and, and just tell them your name. Hi, I'm Kevin. Or use your own name, but hi, I'm whoever. <laughs> right? Um. And, and let's, let's grow in that. Let's grow in remembering. So I shared that with Shelly, and all of a sudden the next day, she is so wonderful, she sent me this, this email on how to remember names and um, tips in a sense. And she even ended by saying, I'll be your accountability partner, which is like coming to Michael, Sp- you know, like Michael Phelps and saying, I'd like to learn in swimming, and he goes, I'll be your accountability partner. I mean, I'm the winner on that one. Anyway, um, so here's just a few tips. Pay attention when a name is given, which is really tough for ADD people because then the name is coming a lot of times you're kind of somewhere else, right? Well, when we, when we do these series, we talk about this remembering, I'm going to ask you, this will really help. Pay attention during this message, okay? Do your best to pay attention. It will help you remember, okay? Uh, repeat it back to someone. You know, glad to meet you. Um, 
Justin or Jessica. You just kind of say the name right away. One really good thing around a message is to be able to kind of repeat it back to someone, maybe in the car ride home, whatever. You share kind of, here's what I got from this. And then notice something about them to help you remember. When you're talking with someone, it's one of the other tips is, is, you know, you get this image or something and you tie it to that name and then that name is to stick with you. And, and the last is repeat it to yourself later. Basically, don't just listen, but use it. Uh, it, that's no different when you tie a truth like a string around your finger and you're called to remember it. What you'll find is what you hear here, you're going to lose it unless you use it. You begin to say, okay, how do I take what's been said here, something of this, and, and apply it to my heart and my life? And this one on the gospel is, 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 is kind of a broad topic. There's just a number of areas of what I call implications or applications. But I want to kind of give you as best I can, once again, what I believe the gospel meant to Jesus. And I think even to Paul. I don't think there's a division. And as we go through this, I hope I can make that clear. And that like a string you tie around your finger, there will be a truth around the gospel that you go, oh yeah, that is what the gospel is. Okay? So let's begin in, in back in October, November, we did this series and, and I'm not, you know, I was tempted to ask you to share with one another what it was, but I was too, um, nervous that you would not remember at all. So maybe we'll do it. What, what was the gospel Jesus proclaimed? Okay. Okay. Don't shout it out. When he came, he said, Hey, here's the good news. I have good news for you. The God, your father, and it's for all the world. And this isn't a trick question because it's found in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's the question I want you to think about. What is the Gospel Jesus himself proclaimed through his ministry on earth in this life? What did Jesus say the Gospel was? So turn to someone and let's do that. Tell them what you think it is. Okay? I should hear some murmuring right now. Dead silence makes me nervous. Okay, so so hopefully you had a chance both to share. It, it sounds like an easy kind of assignment in one sense, but what I found through um, my years in ministry and even my own self at times that that is a, a difficult question sometimes to answer because we have all kinds of understandings around that. Um, but if you actually go through the Gospels, and I'll just start with Mark, Mark chapter 1. It says in the beginning, the, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ. And so he's the only one who actually says that in the beginning. They, they, they quote Jesus using the word gospel. But he, as a gospel writer, says this is the gospel about Jesus Christ, which means good news. And, and then he begins to share that. So if you get down to about verse 14 and verse 15 in Mark chapter 1, you begin to hear Jesus proclaiming what this gospel is. In fact, the word we get for preaching, if you go like to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, here's the gospel I preached to you. It's, he's, it's really, if you were to do it according to the Greek, it's here's the gospel I was gospeling to you or proclaiming to you, gospeling to you. So in Mark 14, verse 14, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel or the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. And so Mark gives that summary, but so also do Matthew and Luke. If you see the summary of what they have to say, you'll see the same thing. The time has come, the kingdom has come, it's now, it's drawn near. Repent and believe the gospel. And you see this progression continue throughout Jesus' ministry. Um, 
Once at one point, he selected his 12 disciples, and, and 12 is an important number because 12 is a governmental number. Numbers had meaning in those days, 40, 12, 70, all kinds of seven. But 12 was the 12 patriarchs who were over the kingdom of Israel, the, new, the, the first covenant. And now Jesus is coming, and he says he's talking about what the kingdom of God, we just heard that being proclaimed. He's setting up this new kingdom with his new 12 governmental leaders. Leaders. And, and, and so when you read in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says, after this, this is after he called together his governmental leaders. You want to put it this way? Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, if you just go to the next chapter, you see his strategy continuing to be developed. Jesus did things strategically. It wasn't some kind of haphazard, oh, maybe I should go here someday, and here's what kind of... He had a plan to what he was doing. So you see that being developed further, because if you continue on, you see Jesus sends out his disciples, or another word really is learners or apprentices, because what they would do is rabbis would take disciples, learners, apprentices around them in order to teach them all that they think, all they know, all they do, and actually to act like them and to become like them. It was an honor for a disciple to be behind a rabbi and get the dust of the rabbi on themselves because they wanted to get the rabbi into themselves. And so here he calls them together, and you look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and he gives them a single message, not a bunch of teachings, go out and do all these teachings. He gives them a single message. Listen to what he says. And when Jesus had called the 12 together, his governmental leaders over this kingdom, he gave them power and authority to drive, he's deputizing them, power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. And you go, well, so what's the miracle part of that? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. Well, if a new kingdom comes, they have this kingdom has benefits and good things to it that they bring into this realm. And from this realm, here is, this, here is from the kingdom some of these good things that are happening. You're seeing a demonstration of the, the healing power and the, and, and the power over the, the demonic and over disease and over evil. It's these words that you find in Scripture. It's often they'll say miracle signs and wonders. And you kind of go, well, what's that about? Why do they miracle signs and wonders? The easy way to remember it is they were going around proclaiming the kingdom of God, giving deputized the authority to do the works of the kingdom so that people could understand the kingdom really has come. And they would do miracles, and miracles make you go, what? Oh, that's something we couldn't do. That's beyond my ability. And what is a sign? John uses seven signs. He has seven miracles, but he calls them all as a sign. What are miracles? We can't do it. And then a sign points to someone who did it, God. And then the wonder of it is you go, whoa, wow, this is really cool. God's here. His kingdom realm is in this place, happening through these deputized apprentices. And so, as you go on, then you see the strategy of Jesus continue to develop one chapter later in Luke chapter 10. In verse 1 and verse 9, after this, another after this, the Lord appointed 72, some say 70, and I'm not going to go through the explanation of 70, 72, except for this. Go back to Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is right before Genesis 11. Knowledge, it says on my... Anyway, um, Genesis 10 
is the table of nations. This is, in that day, considered to be all the nations of the world. And right after that, soon after that, follows Abraham, who was called to bring a blessing to what? The whole world. It's to be anticipated. And so what Jesus is doing is something that he knows every Jew is going to understand. Here are these 12 governmental leaders who are bringing in a new kingdom, which has shaken the place up. And now he's calling 70 in a prophetic, forward-looking manner, saying, just like this gospel through these governmental leaders are going all throughout Israel, someday, throughout the entire world, this good news that the kingdom has come is going to be pronounced. And so it says in this passage of scripture, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and set them two by two ahead of them in every town place where he was about to go. Heal the sick. Again, we talked about that, you know, miracle signs and wonders who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, as you follow through this, you kind of go, okay, that's kind of neat. That's up to about chapter 10. Look at Acts chapter 1. We're told this, that after we go through the Gospels and you see then the Gospels, the heart of the Gospel is the fact that, that the power of God has been displayed in order to bring forgiveness so that we can have relationship with him, so that through the resurrection he can restore everything. I just gave you the kind of the end of the message right now. But anyway, so that happens. Significant to the message of the Gospel. But here, when you get back to Acts chapter 1, verse 3, after his suffering, after Jesus has gone through this death and suffering, he presented himself to them again, giving what he needed to give convincing proofs that he was alive. Because they don't understand, we don't understand a kingdom that actually can overcome death so that life is really what, what we have in God. And, and death will not be the final answer. So they're saying, kind of help me understand this. And so he does that. And then it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. 40 days, again, significant. It's a period of testing. It's a period of, of, of bringing about completion of what new work of what God has been doing, preparing for this new kingdom. And it says, period of 40 days, and here's what he spoke about. He spoke about the kingdom of God. So tie this truth like a string around your finger. Because what is being proclaimed is this. Jesus, the promised king, is here. The kingdom of God has come. Okay? That's the gospel. And so if you look at that, you go, oh, that's interesting. Let me bring you all the way through Acts. Because in Acts, Paul is going around. He's preaching and teaching. He's doing miracles that create signs that cause people to wonder. He's doing these kind of things. He's establishing through all these different areas. Because the church began to realize, not out of their own sense of knowledge, but we're told in Acts that God actually came in through persecution. And he distributed them because they were really comfortable in Jerusalem. And they eventually go to Antioch, and in Antioch they send Paul and Barnabas to the end of the world and throughout the end of the world, and and they go around from city to city to city to city teaching. What are they teaching? Well, you understand what they're teaching when you come to the very end of Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 through 31. Here is Luke saying, who traveled with Paul, kind of summing it up again. Here's what this whole message is about. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed what? The kingdom of God. And he adds something here. And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
he put some titles there around the name Jesus, Lord, which in one sense you can say is king, the one overall. Uh, um, when you think of Christ, it's Messiah, which really means anointed one. He is just dripping full with the Holy Spirit. And he did this with all boldness and without hindrance. And this is critically important because he was in a place called Rome. And to speak in Rome is to speak where the heart of the kingdom of the world was. And there was a king who was named was Caesar. And Caesar was... You just, if you were going to start usurping the throne or there was any potential of an uprising, there was a cost you'd pay. You know what it was? Death. If it was outside the kingdom and you weren't a Roman citizen, it was crucifixion. You know that these historical records will show that when Jesus was growing up, he would, there was kind of a building boom taking place. He was a carpenter because of what has happened with Rome moving into the areas where they had barracks and other things being built. And Jesus was no doubt probably with Joseph going there with other carpenters. And at one point, there were zealots who tried to form an uprising, and they ended up taking a whole group of them and putting them on crosses, crucifying, so that when the people would go by, they'd say, don't ever, ever, ever mess with Caesar, the king, and this kingdom. So when it says that he was doing this with boldness and without hindrance, how do you feel like when you talk about, you know, maybe announcing and telling some people about the gospel? It kind of puts it in a different light when we think about our fear, right? Well, I'm afraid. Then he's writing and he's speaking in Rome. He is obviously has fear. It would be better to shut up because if he didn't, death was the end. But he did it with boldness. He just said, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to share this message. I'm going to share this message. Tie it like a truth. Uh, tie like truth around, uh, like, like string around your finger. What is it? Here it is. Jesus, the promised king, is here. And with it, his kingdom has come. Now, there's all kinds of implications about that in your life. So if you were to sum that up in a single phrase, again, I just say, like a truth tied around your finger, like that string to remember, it is Jesus, the promised king, is here. He's here. He's brought his kingdom. It's the idea that the good news is an invasion. Jesus came announcing a message that God's kingdom is here, yet here's the interesting thing. Jesus himself was also the message. The fullness of the kingdom was in him because he was the king. Right? Kingdoms issue out of a person's heart, and it comes out of the king's heart. And so you get this picture of here's Jesus. And, and here's what happens sometimes, I believe, with the gospel, is we can have a tendency to reduce it to how do we get people to heaven someday so they can make a decision so they can get there. That really wasn't what Jesus came in the good news. The good news was much more about this. How do I get heaven into people's hearts so that as heaven grows in their heart and God is in your heart, once God is in your heart, you're going to heaven for sure. And what happens sometimes when we get on the gospel and we say it's about, it's about merely just forgiveness and getting to heaven someday, what can happen is it can get kind of um, bifurcated right there and it's more about a ticket to get somewhere someplace someday and it doesn't matter as much how you live or it can be kind of this idea that you're buying fire insurance policy because you've just said yes. You know, I just want to share with you the yes you have said to the gospel, the gospel good news is this truth, that Jesus, the promised king, is here, which means we recognize he has a will and in 
his will and in his established will, we respond as servants. So let me just bring you to another passage of Scripture that I think will help because um, it's, it's one page over. It's in Romans. And you might be saying, well, is this exactly what Paul taught? And I would love to kind of share with you exactly what Paul taught. If you look at Acts chapter 28, this was written probably around 62, 63 A.D. The temple and everything falls in 70 A.D. So around 62, 63 A.D., Paul is in Rome, and Acts is being written. Five years before that, more than likely around 56 A.D., most scholars will say, Paul is traveling, and he writes to the Romans. And here's what he writes to the Romans. Listen to the very first words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. So his first admission, the very first thing he says, the first thing we recognize, he's writing to Rome again. So that's subversive in itself. In fact, Paul does die because of his subversive tendencies against the kingdom. So he's writing to Rome, and he's making this point right away. I'm a servant of this king. And I've been called, set apart by the king, to go around and tell everybody about this good news, that, the, that Jesus, the promised king, is here. And so he says he's called as an apostle, and the word apostle is an interesting word. It's, it's the idea of one who is sent out. So um, we often just think of apostle and you know Christ, and we don't think about what it means behind it. The actual word apostle in the Greek comes from what was known in that day. They would send out ships. They would be called apostles. These Roman ships would go, and they would go into a territory that has that is not Roman, and they would go there to establish the Roman kingdom. And so they would send out these Roman ships to establish their kingdom and to further their kingdom. So it's a very interesting word that this word apostle means one who is sent out. He is a servant of the king in order to establish the kingdom everywhere he goes, chosen by God. And he uses this, the gospel of God. And now, now catch this too. Here's, here's what he continues to say. The gospel, the good news... I want you to understand the good news. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. This is the king, the promised king who is here. And, and, and what he's trying to make in this statement here is you have to understand this is not some kind of newfangled idea that's come up. This is not some kind of person who's just usurping. This is the king who was established long ago who was told by the father who would be sent someday. You see how he says that? It was promised. It's almost like he's saying the prophets and all the people that came before, say, they, they sent out save-the-date cards. Get that? They're almost kind of going, hey, guys, I want you to know there's going to come a time when, when what has happened with all creation and the way God intended it to be ruled through Adam and through Eve and, and through mankind, and, and it's gone really south. I want you to know someday he chooses Abraham to bless the whole world, and through Abraham there comes a family, and from that family then comes Moses, and from Moses comes a nation, and from that nation there comes a king, this King David who rules over a, 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 a geographic area, and he sets up a dynasty that we're told lasts forever because this dynasty from it will come a king and this king will be named Jesus and he will come someday and he's promised to come and so they're saying you need to understand from a long time ago this save the date card has been sent out until the very last and the greatest of all the prophets guess who would they who would that last and greatest prophet be John the Baptist and John the Baptist has a really interesting save the date card his has an exclamation point on it 
That's the best way I look at it. When he comes, you know what he's told to say? Prepare the way of the Lord or the king or the one to come. And, you know, make the road smooth and, and, and the way straight and get rid of the mountains. And when I was at um, Wheaton College years ago and President Ford came to speak at a convocation in our, at our school, what amazed me is they still do the same thing today. They went through the route he was going to take and made it so pretty and beautiful. The city did, and then the college got involved, and the, the hallway he was going to go down, they redid the whole hallway and put up all these nice pictures. <laughs> and then the Secret Service changed his route, and he went a whole different way. <laughs> so he never went through it. Anyway, I say all that because to save the date card with the exclamation point that John the Baptist, the greatest prophet before Jesus comes and says, prepare the way of the Lord, because tie it, this truth like a string around your finger and remember Jesus, the promised king is here and John the Baptist is saying he's almost here, in fact he's right in our midst good news good news and then he goes on and he says and regarding the son who to his human nature was a descendant of David that's, that's not a throwaway line He's continuing to establish the fact that the king has come. You see, in these first few verses, he's trying to establish the people in Rome. Here's the truth I want you to remember about this gospel. Here's the good news I'm talking about. The the good news of the gospel is Jesus, the promised king, he's here. And he's here for you. And he's here for this whole world and our culture and everything. And I want you to realize, not only is there in Save the Date cards that have been sent out to the prophets, I want you to recognize there's a second thing that's true here. According to the human nature, according to his human nature, he is of the proper pedigree. He has come through the dynasty of David just like it said it would. Okay, there's, in, in, in his stating that, there, there are no what I would call birther claims, right? There, you don't have to go back. He's saying, here's the truth. There's no room for any of these kind of accusations about, what well, is this really the right pedigree? No, it is. And then he goes on and he makes this statement. And through the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit of holiness, He was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Now that's an important statement as well because there has to be a confirmation. And he's basically saying this guy didn't get here by outcome painting someone. He didn't, it wasn't necessarily even through beating a rival, although he he beat the greatest rival in the world, Satan and death. And you see it in his resurrection. He uses the word power which is dynamite, which means dynamite, which means explosive power. The explosive power of God put him into place. And he makes these words, son of God. Now, again, we read that and we don't understand the background behind that. Do you know that when, when the Caesars were kind of making their way through Rome and Rome was being built as an empire, did you know that Julius Caesar at one point, in order to establish himself, made it really clear he was going to be God and proclaimed himself God? And when there was a juggling for power, and there was these, before the announcements of good news, the new emperor is there, there was a juggling of power. Finally, a guy named Octavian, remember all the stories of Brutus and Marcus and Cleopatra, all that stuff going on, that's going on there. Octavian comes, and he is Caesar Augustus, and guess what he calls himself? The son of God. 
Interesting, isn't it? So here you have Paul, who's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's saying to you and to me, tie this truth like a string on your finger. Here's the gospel. Jesus, the promised king, is here. And guess what? This is subversive. He's the son of God. And so if you read through this whole thing, it's almost like this crescendo. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, And set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he proclaimed beforehand to the prophets in his holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, colon, Jesus Christ, the King, the Lord. That's the gospel. And with that gospel are all kinds of implications. And you can see it in verse 5. One of the first things he says, I've been called, and part of my calling is to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Basically, it's what Jesus said. This good news is available for all. It's not an Israel message anymore. There is no us and them. Folks, it's really important for us to get out of the us-them categories. There is just us sinners in this world who God has poured out his grace And made it available to everybody. And in that availability, he says, this king is accessible wherever you go, wherever you are at. Because it's not conditioned by a governmental home. It's, that's why the temple was removed. Because it was, the temple was no longer the seat of power for God. You get that? The seat of power is your heart. When we talk about a kingdom, it's the, it's what, it's called the range of God's extended will of where what he says goes. Every one of you are little kingdoms. Every one of you have a range of, 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 of a will and power where what you say in your little realm goes. And what he's saying is, here's what I want you to understand. The way it was always created was that this king would come, this promised king would come who would be here and he'd make it available to anyone. It doesn't matter what color of skin you are, what gender you are, it doesn't matter any of those things, but it will be available to all people. We go out to all people wherever they're at and we tell them the king's here. And, and what we're doing is taking our power where we can say what goes here and we're submitting it like servants, like Paul said here, in order to be set apart so that the, the, the word of God can richly begin to dwell in us and his presence can dwell in us so that everywhere we go, we are under his power. He, he is, we, he is telling us not only is he available, but it's accessible. Whether you live in Rome or Corinth or Ephesus or Jerusalem, whether you live in the U.S. or Europe or Africa or China or, or in Canada or Syria, no matter what party rules, what person rules, whether a Caesar, a dictator, a president, or a prime minister, whether in prison and kitchen, basketball court, or whether you're in an office cubicle or at the dinner table, guess what? The king's here, and he can rule through your kingdom. And here's the other thing he says... And I'll make this quick in one minute. Well, it's three things. But he says in verse 16, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not one bit ashamed because the power of God through this king will change your life. The gospel, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed because it saves. And then he goes on and he makes a declaration. Not only does it save, here's how it saves. He pardons you he forgives you. Catch this. In the same way, 
Um, the only way you'll be able to get into heaven is to have perfect righteousness. He, perfectly righteous, came and gave his life so that you could experience forgiveness. And, and all he asks for you to do is to acknowledge that and to receive that. And when you do that, the power of God is released into your very being. Whether you feel like it or not. Jesus, the promised king, is here. And the last thing he tells us in this, and you can read it through Romans, and I, I had so much fun myself going through all this, that, but he, at the very end he starts talking about how he will establish not only you and his kingdom in you, but he will establish it in this world forever. Okay? He's not just trying to get here, there. He's saying if there gets here, the heaven, um, thy will be done, thy, the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. If that begins to happen, he goes, guess what's going to happen someday? Satan will be crushed under your feet. It says one of the last verses in Romans. Because God is coming to restore everything because the king's here. And it's not like a ticket to get there someday. It's more like yeast. It's more like his presence in salt permeating things. Because the gospel is this message. Jesus, the promised king, is here for you and for this entire creation, and he's bringing it to restoration. That's the good news. And anybody who wants it can enter into it. I'm going to ask us to pray and the ushers to come forward because we're going to take a caring fund. And one of the things we do with a caring fund is we give these funds to help those who are in need and to uh, minister to them in real difficult times. And this past year, I think we've given out this is close to $40,000 is kind of what we give out on a regular basis. This is over and above our regular offering, and it's a wonderful gift. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for these gifts, and we receive these because, God, um, you are our king, and we're asking that as, as the king you would direct these to people who are in a place where they need to be assured. And some will see it like a miracle, and it will be a sign, and it will point to them of how incredibly gracious and good you are and that you love them. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.